uh, it seems like we're covered with snow from all over the Northwest now, even where he comes from is snowing. Can you imagine that? So anyway, God appreciates your effort to get to the sacred liturgy on Sunday. You're like the early Christians. They always went on Sunday. So He shall be called the Nazarene. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My dearest brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the Sunday after uh, Christmas. It's also the synaxis of the Holy Theotokos. <laughs> and what does it mean, a synaxis? It means a gathering. So usually after, in, in you know, big cities uh, where there's many parishes, um, the synaxis would be, they usually follow a great feast day. So this synaxis was called, it's in our calendar, to honor the Virgin Mary. And they usually go to the principal church in the area. Well, we're the, we're the only church in the area, so we're, that's where we're at. So anyway, uh, synaxis is a Greek term, and we have the synaxarion. The synaxarion is a book of writings, usually sacred writings in our tradition. And the synaxis is in response to those writings, when they would go and read them and celebrate liturgy or vespers, whatever they were going to do. So we celebrate the synaxis. We have a double holiday for the, the um, family of the Lord, actually, Joseph, James, and David and also for Our Lady, and they come together this year. So it was a lot of fun at Matins trying to figure out what they were going to do. But I was quiet and behaved myself as usual. <clears throat> we're not as close as we should be in the United States to our families. This with the exception of monks, because monks leave their family and they become a member of a new family in the monastery. So that's their new identity. And they get a new name when they take solemn vows. But during these holidays, uh, it's particularly difficult this year because of the disease going around. I don't know the truth about that either. And also because of the weather's not so good for traveling. So there were lots of people canceled their trips or the airline just canceled the flights because they don't have the personnel to make the flights. It's difficult. The reason it's difficult is we live so far apart from each other. It wasn't always that way. Uh, prior to uh, World War II, people almost lived for generations near each other, families. But after World War II, they sort of spreading everybody around. And they built, uh, FDR built the interstate system of roads and everybody's going everywhere and every place. And it's not always financially possible 
for families to get together. But at least make a phone call and make sure you th they know that you're thinking about them and let them talk to the children. This gospel teaches us family. These were all, Joseph was the foster father of Jesus. David was the ancient father of his line. And James was the brother of the Lord. And it seems like when I read the Gospels more and more, it seems like Jesus' ministry became the occupation of the family. All these, his cousins, everybody, all became bishops and priests and leaders of congregations. So he put everybody to work. That's a good idea. But then, of course, he sent them all over the world. So that's not such a good idea, but he did do that. But the church spread fantastically in the fourth century. It just blossomed and went everywhere. Not that there was not troubles, because there were troubles. And one of the problems was the Arian heresy. Now, there's several ways to interpret the Arian heresy. But it was denied that Jesus Christ was truly God and truly man. <laughs> and so, they had a couple of councils. Nicaea reaffirmed the Trinity. First Constantinople, of course, reaffirmed the divinity of Jesus Christ. And third council, Chalcedon, talked about the mother of God. Now, why would we talk about the mother of God when we're talking about Jesus? Well, when she gave birth to our Lord, it was not just a human baby that was born. It was a divine child. Now, this was not uh, unusual in the... Uh, empire at that time because everybody wanted to be divine. So Diocletian, <laughs> uh, he, he was a whoop-de-doo emperor, made troubles, you know. He was up in Croatia, actually, is where he lived. And so his, his uh, wife and his uh, household, the servants in the household, became Christians. And they would not acknowledge that he was divine. Well, anyway, he killed them all off. And this goes on and on. But uh, the, the 10 great persecutions of Christians were not all the time. Nero started it again in 50. But they were periodically were dispersed. And uh, the reason for those persecutions, Julian, he started them too after Constantine had made Christianity the religion of the empire. And they were all about how to worship God. The pagans were not irreligious people. They just had the wrong religion. And pegas means in Greek, the village people. In other words, it was this countryside that was sort of pagan. In the cities, there was always a battle going on of what was the true religion. Now, so the Third Council comes together, and they're concerned about Jesus Christ. 
So, I have to tell your Protestant uh, people this. They're pretty well Arians. They pay attention to Our Lady at Christmas, but they do not recognize who she really is. So, at that council, they, as a matter of faith, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they proclaim that Mary was Theotokos in Greek. Uh, Theos and Tarkos is God-bearer. They didn't say she was the mother of the divine nature, that she is the God. But Jesus was truly God and truly mine, and he was a human, and he was born of her. So she, in the Slavonic too, in the uh, creed, we say, we say, she bore God into the world. She, gener she didn't generate God. She generated Jesus Christ. But he was one person, human and divine, with one apostasis. I talked about that yesterday. So she becomes the centerpiece of the incarnation. It's interesting, uh, I mentioned it to the monks a couple times, maybe not to you, that our Holy Father... We don't really think of him too much as a theologian, but he knows some theology. And the very uh, conservative uh, groups of Catholics wanted the church at Vatican II to define Mary as a mediatrix of all grace. But that was avoided, and they called her mother of the church at Vatican II. It's the last constitution on the church, by the way. And uh, the Pope... He went back to Chalcedon, the Chalcedonian Council, when this came up again. They petitioned him in Rome. And he said that, uh, no, he said, we got to follow what uh, uh, the council said, that she gave birth to Christ, who is truly God and truly man. Well, that's no small thing. And that's why the synaxis is for her today. Because he needed... God needed cooperation. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, she said, let it be done to me according to your word. I say word of God. Word is always creative. So at that point, the Holy Spirit comes and starts the process in her womb. So the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's there, so is the Father and the Son. They can't be split apart. And she became the temple but God was developed and became our Savior and the true Savior and Redeemer of the world. Now, we ask, what is he redeeming us from? Death and sickness. All those things that uh, death does to us. They fall and... Uh, and original sin does to us. All those things are done away with by the incarnation. He's the perfect human being. The perfect gifts that we have to offer to the Father, which he's acceptable, and the perfect solution to original sin. So it will have no more power. Of course, we think about it a lot because... We go to confession and we realize we're sort of subject to original sin. We do things 
We have our passions are not all under control, but they, you have to work hard to get your passions all under control. So the best way you can cooperate with Jesus Christ in your salvation is to cooperate to control your passions. And we all should do that, especially before we approach our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. So some churches, they require to, you apostolic churches I'm talking about, to go to confession each time before you go to communion. Catholic Church don't do that. We don't think so that our people are always, and they have the notion of mortal sin, which Augustine gave us. Eastern Church, we told, we, the Pope asked us to retain that distinction, but it's mostly in the West. We don't talk about things like that too much. We talk about the ascetical life. By leading the ascetical life, we avoid uh, the, having the passions have power over us. But it's difficult to leave the ascetical life. And our people around us, they have a sort of a party notion about life, that we came here to have a good time. But Jesus said, take up your cross and come follow me. And he died on the cross. And you must die to your passions so that the cross becomes for you your sign of victory. It's very interesting. When somebody dies, the monks come to the monastery as candidates. I tell them, have somebody make you a plain cross. So it's personal. Some do, some buy a cross. And they bring it in. And I present them the cross, the Trotsky, and the prayer book. The things of their new life. But those same things belong to every Christian. And so when the baby is baptized, we put a cross on the baby. It's a sign of perseverance in living a cynical life and also a victory. Especially in the Eastern Church, the cross is a sign of victory. Because Christ died, he shed his blood, and he conquered death and sin. It's a sign of victory. So this is the divine plan of our Lord. And central to that plan was his mother. Now all of us, it's an exception when somebody doesn't love their mother. Uh, but Jesus probably loved his mother more than anyone possibly could love anyone. And why he loved her is because she said yes. She cooperated with the divine plan. And so he filled her with all the gifts of the Holy Trinity. So she, in carrying God, she received all these gifts. Not only that, after Jesus ascended into heaven, she stayed with us and she was in the communion of the apostles and she was their teacher. And I always think this is sort of a romantic notion. The Gospel Luke, which we really like at this time of year, is all about Jesus' birth and Mary. And Luke was one of the seven, do you remember? And he probably knew her and she probably 
talked about that, and that's why we have such detail in the Gospel of Luke. That's my fantasy, that's what went on there. But today in this feast, we say the Synaxis in honor of the Lady, and say thank you for your cooperation in his incarnation. Thank you for being his mother. Thank you for giving him the God-man who could save us from ourselves. Thank you for the beauty that you are and how you pray for us still. Never forget John 22. So Mary is standing at the foot of the cross with a few other ladies and one teenage apostle, John, who wrote a gospel. And uh, what is she doing there? She's watching her son die and she's praying. Her role in our life as our mother is to pray for us that we can be overcome our passions and live a happy life in union with her to glorify her son. And so many churches and so many organizations, and here the head of the monastery is the Hergumina, that's Our Lady, she's the head. And we have to think about in our home, who is the head? Christ and the mother. They're always in the icon corner, the cross in the middle. And we put flowers there, we burn candles there, and we pray there. Do you remember us? Who is the really? So I used to say to when I married couples, I made sure they had a set of icons, I blessed them. And I said, this is the first furniture of your home the icon of Our Lady and Our Lord and the Holy Cross. Now, when somebody dies, especially the monks, in some communities, they each don't have a cross. They hang a cross over the doors of the community's church, and the next monk that dies gets that cross. When the priest dies, his priest cross is put in his hands, and it's not taken away. And layman dies, he should have a cross in his hands. The key to heaven is embracing the cross, our sign of victory. The key to heaven is the prayer in unity with Our Lady at the foot of the cross. The key to heaven is the Holy Eucharist, which Mary gave us in her oven when her womb when she formed the Savior. The fathers put it in a more poetic way. They say, Mary was the oven that baked the bread of the Holy Eucharist. Everything she did is contained in her son. And she is mediatrix of grace, not all graces. All graces come from Jesus Christ, the God-man but she intercedes for us still. And so today we honor her and grow closer to her. And I like it that you say your rosary every day. It's not particularly interesting, but everything it talks about 
is, is Eastern. Especially the new mysteries, you know, they were put on. So we have now not 15, but 20 mysteries. It's okay, popes can do that. And I like them because they're particularly Byzantine. So when you're in trouble, there's two people you go to to get intercession. And they're both, this is also the feast of the monastery of St. Joseph. Of course, you know why it's named Joseph. It's my patron saint. I had to give him a gift. And my dad's patron saint, and my grandfather's patron saint, and we used to have big parties at home together. And my grandfather especially loved that. So we tried to pray to those two people. The Holy Theotokos, the intercessor by the throne of her divine son, and Joseph, his foster father. Keep them on your side and your guardian angel. The other thing I want to say, if you think you're sick and you're dying, try to get communion. If you die and you go and you die after receiving Holy Communion, we call it in Latin viaticum, which means the food for the journey. With those three things, you will surely be in heaven. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.